Hello, welcome to this podcast pilot. I'm very excited to be launching this podcast, looking at insights and latest trends to help employers attract, develop and retain great people with me, Polly Rathbone-Ward. We're going to look beyond traditional styles of management to bring new, innovative and people-centred ideas to forward-thinking businesses that want to shape a new future where people can thrive at work. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be celebrating World Menopause Day with this conversation recorded with Lauren Chiran, an expert on supporting women going through menopause and how workplaces can support women going through this stage in their lives. So welcome, Lauren. Um, Thank you so much for speaking to me today. This is a really important and topical issue. And I think um, what you have to say will be fascinating for lots of people. Um, Would you mind talking through your background and perhaps how you come to do what you do? Yes, of course. So without giving you war and peace, I went to university at 16 to do double maths and computing and came out with a psychology degree. So that kind of sets the scene for the twists and turns that my life has taken. I've always set off in one direction and then somehow or another ended up doing something entirely different. And that's no different with what I'm doing now. So I've got 12 years global operations roles working in mostly um, service led businesses. Then I retrained as a personal trainer, sports therapist, nutrition advisor, and I worked with people like Dustin Hoffman, Anastasia, and a lot of people working backstage or, you know, launching books or albums working at big events with athletes and then I had 10 years almost as a senior exec in financial services and that's where I became the go-to female leader for women coming through the organization and found myself sitting in the middle of a board meeting unable to get the word plan out of my mouth as a program director that was a little bit tricky and to cut a very long story short because I think we'll probably go into it in a bit more in a minute I basically left my job as a senior exec in financial services, believing I had early onset dementia. And when I went to my doctors over the next three months, I discovered I had just been through menopause. And that was the moment when I literally sat in my, in my doctor's surgery, punched the ear with joy, and I was the happiest menopausal woman in Bristol because it meant I didn't have early onset dementia. So that was the moment when I really thought, okay, I can't be the only one. No, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of people go through this. And so I wonder why the symptoms are not so talked about or known about. And it was such a surprise to you that you thought you had early onset dementia. That is a terrible thing to happen. What a shock. I think it's at the time I felt really stupid for having not realised I'd just gone through an entirely natural life stage. However, if you think about it, my generation are not educated, haven't been educated on menopause. Our doctors presently aren't trained on menopause. Often they'll only have between five, well, half an hour to five hours training on menopause in the entire 10 years they train as a doctor, as a GP. And it's just something that women historically dealt with quietly in the privacy of their own home. They weren't out in the world using their voice and using their talents and skills in the way that we are now. So in the UK, for example, there's over 13 and a half million women on their menopausal transition right now. That, that is a lot of women. 51% of the population are female and every single one who lived that long are going to go through this. But if you think about it, going back 150 years ago, women became menopausal at 57 and died at 59. Whereas nowadays we're becoming 
the beginning of our menopausal journey can start in the late 30s, early 40s when we hit perimenopause. We typically become menopausal age 45 to 55, sometimes like myself earlier or in some cases later. And if you've had chemotherapy or a hysterectomy or oophorectomy and, and certain other medical and surgical interventions will bring on an early menopause as well. So menopause is, is lasting, the actual phase is lasting longer. We're living longer and women are in the workplace now in a way that we've never been before. So it's something that we haven't talked about. And I believe that women are just starting to use their voice effectively en masse and bringing our issues to the fore so that we can start to create workplace cultures and environments where we can flourish no matter what stage of life we're at. Mm, Absolutely. So you realised that you had been through the menopause, which was an entirely natural life stage. Did you say that you had left your job by that point? Yeah, I, I had a series of things, shall we say, happen over about 18 months where I found my recall, my retention had completely slipped. There was one night I drove home and completely forgotten I'd even been at work. I turned around to go back to work at six o'clock at night, thinking it was six o'clock in the morning. Oh, wow. And there was one occasion I was sitting holding the arms of the chair, staring at the clock on the wall during a 45 minute meeting, waiting, waiting for everyone to leave the room so that I could use the wall and kind of Marcel Marceau, you know, use my hands on the wall to, to find my way back to my desk because my heart was racing outside of, you know, my, my skin. I felt like people could see my, my, my chest vibrating because I was having palpitations. My skin was itchy. My eyes were dry. My nails were breaking. My wrists were sore. It was just this calamitous set of events that made me think that I, had, I was past it, that I had, you know, lost my marbles and I couldn't cope anymore. So being a senior female in a very male-dominated environment, I didn't know how to ask for help and support. And, you know, I've since found that that's fairly common amongst females in the workplace, especially if they're holding positions of responsibility. They don't want to be seen as weak or vulnerable, so they don't want to talk about anything that's going on for them. And that's a big thing that, that women need to learn how to do, because asking for help and support is a sign of strength, not weakness. Mm, yes yes absolutely gosh so the set of symptoms is really quite broad by the sounds of what you were just saying but it's not really discussed is it in in, well I think it's beginning to be more discussed and I was watching the Davina McCall program on channel four a few months ago and it was surprising for me there was a whole range of symptoms that she talked about that I didn't know about um, so it's, to, I guess, if you have some of those symptoms as someone who doesn't really know what's happening, it could be quite a shock. Certainly. And I think, you know, as a sole parent of a child with lifelong medical needs as well, it felt incumbent upon me to constantly be on my A-game. Mm. And it felt really important that I didn't have any cracks or any weaknesses. I didn't have time to get sick or not perform or bring home the bacon kind of thing. Mm. So, you know, it's something that I think we need to be really mindful of the fact that as women, our roles are transitioning. As human beings, all our roles are transitioning. It's not unique to women, but we are taking on more responsibility than we have done ever before. And trying to, you know, this generation, my generation is definitely that sandwich generation where we've still got kids at home, potentially, often young children. Many of us are single parents or we're in those complex, you know, extended family situations. And we've got elderly relatives that we're helping support. Plus, we're trying to hold down a job or run our business as well. 
So we, we need to start being kinder to each other and to ourselves. And that's something I think women can be really bad at looking after themselves, really good at looking after everyone else, but not necessarily so good at looking after themselves. Yes, absolutely. I completely understand what you mean about that sandwich um, age range, I guess, because I remember earlier in my career, I would um, notice women of a certain age, <laughs> um, usually sort of late 40s, I guess, early 50s, and they would arrive at their desk at sort of one minute to nine, looking as though they'd perhaps run a marathon already because of all the the um, responsibilities that they have in their role at home and I used to you know observe this and think gosh that is no way to start your working day so since then I've always and I was in HR <laughs> so since then I've always thought how can we make life a bit less stressful for people because actually to have someone arrive at their desk or workspace wherever it is now in this hybrid world that we're in um, you know and ready to start the day um, they will be more productive and happier anyway so there will be more positive business outcomes but that's aside from the menopause um, story. I think I think you bring up a really good point there though about you know turning up at work looking like you've run the marathon already so that brings on an interesting point so before we talk today I actually asked you if we we're going to be on screen or just on audio now that gave me back 20 minutes of my day where I didn't have to prepare to be ready to be on screen because I don't have any other um, connections today where I need to worry about putting makeup on. So that 20 minutes is really vital. And if you think about someone who's turning up to an office, if they've got all their familial commitments before going to work mm. and they have gotten themselves ready in whatever way they see fit to be ready for work, whatever that means to them, but if that includes doing their hair and their makeup, which not saying that anyone should or shouldn't do that, mm. but if that does include it, and then they've had a series of hot flushes before they've left the house, their makeup is maybe running down their face, their hair is maybe plastered to their head, their clothes feel uncomfortable because they're sticking to their body. What do they do? Do they go and freshen up and have another shower and start all over again? Or do they continue the journey into work and just risk you know, coming in looking ragged? So is it late or ragged? So it, it's those kind of things that people don't see, which are very real parts of going through menopause, very physical things that happen to us in terms of not everyone has hot flushes, but about 70% of women do. Oh, and by the way, we can help reduce and get rid of them as well. So all, the, all these menopausal symptoms we're talking about are actually manageable, but we need to get the right information and support out there so that women can. But I thought that that, you know, that description you gave was absolutely pertinent. Mm, yes and I, I wouldn't have been thinking at that point I was probably in my 20s when I was observing this and I wouldn't have, have even thought about how they might be feeling hormonally or internally I was just merely observing you know probably what they had had to experience at home in terms of getting children to school or whatever it is and all of those responsibilities so I probably wasn't even thinking about <laughs> about the menopause as well yes and I guess that is an argument for hybrid working um if uh, you know employers are considering doing things a little bit differently as we transition out of the pandemic, I have found it slightly disheartening when you hear whole employers, you know, saying, "Right, everyone back to the office," um, and you know, it's disheartening if people are not taking the opportunity to do things a little bit differently now that we've had this um, pandemic for eighteen months. Um, you know, why not take this opportunity to to do things a little bit differently that might ease the stress or um, experience that people are having, you know, before work, getting to work. And then ultimately, obviously, that has an impact on their experience at work as well. 
Yeah, and I think just on that, I know it's slightly off topic, but one of the things I've noticed, so I did a survey of about 50 people a week over 12 weeks in the early part of the pandemic, just looking at potential of going back to the office, hybrid working, and over 31% of the people I interviewed, most of whom were men, have actually since resigned from their jobs and have looked for jobs that have not required them to go back into the workplace and have not required them to do the amount of commuting that they had done previously. So it's absolutely fascinating how it's not just women, but men also are looking for more flexibility because they've had this experience of home life. They've begun to understand what their partners are doing at home and what the impact of you know, being more present for their family is. And many are choosing to be there more. So I think we're going to see some unprecedented shifts in the workplace going forward, things that perhaps we haven't even thought about yet. Mm, I think so. I hope so. And that's really interesting, that statistic. Yeah, really interesting. I think we have to be mindful of who actually is taking up hybrid working, um, because there's something at the back of my mind thinking, you know, if it is women who are more likely to do that because actually it takes the pressure off them with the school run and rushing into an office as we've just been discussing um if it is going to be more women we have to employers have to be mindful of um making sure that there is equality of opportunity for those who are working remotely and in the office but that's really interesting that um you mentioned about men as well that's really interesting can I just go back a little bit you were talking about you were in a male dominated environment and um so it was difficult for you to to speak um to anyone to sort of tell people what was going on for you was there anybody that you you told or you, that you could tell um <laughs> that you were going through this this experience well I didn't know what I was going through so I think that's the the key thing here is that I was continuing to deliver out of my skin at work. So I had built an amazing team. They were phenomenal. They continued to deliver. They continued to do everything and more that was asked for of them. And so the performance in the area that I managed was exceptional. And we were rewarded for that. So there was nothing that said to me anything was wrong. There was no one telling me that there was a problem. I knew that there was a problem when I went on holiday and was with my son in Iceland and had a laugh and a joke every day for a week. And on the last night of the holiday, I sat bolt upright in my bed and I suddenly realised that I'd slept every night for a week. I'd laughed and joked. I had fun. And it dawned on me that things had not been right over the last 18 months because I hadn't slept. And I would wake up with night sweats on the occasions I did fall asleep. And night sweats are not just getting a bit warm and sticky. Night sweats are like you have had a shower to the point where I had a series of towels that I used to just, every time I'd night sweat, whip one towel out, put another towel, you know, to lie and lie on top of a towel to protect the mattress because you're literally drinking so much water just to replace the fluids that you're losing. And my concentration, you know, passing out in the office and thinking that you're going to faint, actually one of my staff members caught me one day and it was hysterical because we had an open plan office, about 200 people. And there am I, legs akimbo, up in the air and this guy's holding my head up and telling me you know just to breathe and concentrate and breathing slowly and I'm wearing a skirt, skirt suit in the middle of this open plan office it was you know but it's things like that you can't can't plan for something like that oh. so it's important that we do start talking about this and um, yeah I think that I didn't realize there was anything really going wrong mm. because everything was going right 
from a mm -hmm. delivery and performance point of view, there was no one intervening and saying things weren't quite right. And then when someone did intervene, it was very much a case of you're walking around this place as if you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders. It's not exactly becoming of a female leader in this organisation, is it? And that came a week after having received my bonus. You know, so there was no sign, there was no indication that things weren't right. And I left for fear of being caught out. I left for fear of being seen as weak or vulnerable. And I just genuinely didn't know where to, to turn for help and support. Okay, so you left. And then um, what happened then in your sort of journey? I, I think that moment where my doctor said, you've just been through menopause, I was like, uh, really? Seriously? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I was early 40s. So we think that I became menopausal after I had my son when I was 37. Mm. And, you know, I was on contraception and then I didn't know my periods had stopped. Mm. So I had no other indicator. I wasn't what I thought was menopausal age. I didn't know my periods had stopped. I had no way to identify what I was experiencing with what was going on. So I had a conversation one day in the gym with a, with a girlfriend who used to also be the comms partner for me at my a previous role. And she was talking to me about sweats and brain fog and all these things. And I said, do you think you might be experiencing perimenopause? And she said, what's that? And she's a few years older than me. So I explained to her that it's the stages leading up to menopause, what you might experience and what was happening with estrogen levels and progesterone levels falling. That conversation turned into a series of conversations with um, one of our national banks. And together we put on an event in the city where we were entirely oversubscribed. It was a half day event and it was phenomenal. And that was the beginning of women of a certain stage. So from that moment on, I set up monthly events where women could get together and share their experiences, just talking completely free event because I thought it was so important that women didn't realize, uh, that women did realize that what they were going through was entirely normal and they didn't think that they were alone. And those events called menopause socials were the beginning of what I took into organizations to help them not just have a women's network or a gender network, but actually have events where women can dip in and out in a safe, confidential environment and start to share what was going well. And that led to me then talking to employers about what you know, menopause is, why it's so important to be menopause supportive and why that's business savvy and impacts the bottom line. Because the more I researched, the more I discovered that women were leaving work in droves in their 40s and 50s because they couldn't get the help and support they needed to manage all of life's challenges the biggest one of them being menopause so that's how women of a certain stage came about amazing so you set up women of a certain stage which educates employers and supports women so what 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 is your offering to clients what are the services that you offer yeah so I think in terms of the, the offering, I like to meet my clients. I don't want to kind of impose a certain way of working, but what I think is really important is organizations understand their statistics and they analyze the impact of menopause on their organization and in the, the entire employee journey, actually. So I invite businesses to look at how many women are 40 to 55, how many people are managing them or they're managing, how many perhaps grads are still working at home or people in their teens and 20s are still living at home with potentially a mother going through that age. And also, how many people have you got in the organization who are potentially living with someone as a partner? Mm. And that will help, under, help you understand how many people are being directly and indirectly impacted by menopause. 
So with that number, normally we'll come up with a number of somewhere between 82 and 100 percent. So the, the kind of low mid 80s tend to be organizations in the engineering, in the you know, more male dominated environments. And then the 100 percent tends to be, you know, talking about local councils or housing or care or even in some cases banking, because we know that often we've got, you know, 40, 60, 70% of women in the lower ranks up to middle management, and then those numbers switch around. So then it's about getting senior stakeholder engagement, helping people really understand the business case, the legal case, the demographic case of why organizations need to start talking about menopause. Then from there, we'll develop a strategy. And, and that varies, each, each organization strategy varies. So we might do a general awareness session, and then from there, do some surveys to understand what the appetite is to do more. Always advocate doing line management training. Now, whether that's just me coming in to do line managers training and we touch on mental health, we touch on sensitive conversations, confidential conversations. We, we look at communication skills using DISC, for example. We might use, we might do some bias awareness just so that people can remove any thoughts they might have about what menopause really is. And we will, now I might come in and train people or I might come and do train the trainer. I also invite people to have allies or buddies, um, whatever is going to be the most effective route for them, depending on the culture. And then more and more organizations now are creating policies or guidance documents. So I work with a lot of global organizations and they may, in the UK, they may have a core policy but globally, because of the variations on how menopause is understood culturally, they might just go with some guidance documents because menopause, first of all, there isn't a word for menopause in parts of certain parts of the world okay. and other parts of the world is absolutely not talked about yet. So we've got to be culturally sensitive across the globe in terms of how we position it, where we start. And that's why it's important to meet an organization where they're at and not just have a cookie cutter approach to it. Mm. so um yeah and so it's one thing to train people but then you've got to make sure that the signposting for women is there that they can access help and support they know when to go to their gp and how to speak to the gp they know how to speak to the line manager they know what sort of lifestyle choices they understand what programs are available for them what internal and external support is available so i also provide programs of support for women as well and that's really important because there's no point seeing someone, hey, we know that this thing exists. Let's tell you all about it and that not following through with the support afterwards. So the whole package is really important and different organizations, different cultures and do that in different ways. But I can help support them on that journey and just come up with a strategy. Gosh, it is incredibly broad, isn't it? Actually, mm -hmm. it affects so many areas in different, uh, different ways. I loved your point about training line managers because I just think the importance of that role is just huge. The impact that a manager can have on someone's experience at work is absolutely huge. And the statistic of, uh, you know, the reason why someone leaves an organisation, it's huge. It's about 70% usually is why someone leaves an organisation. It's because of their line manager and how they feel, how they, they're made to feel at work and during their experience of work. That's yeah. amazing. Gosh, you cover a huge, a huge um, broad range of things there. Incredible. Um, when you mentioned DISC there, was is that the DISC um, psychometric profiling? Yeah. That you yeah okay so yeah. talking about sort of communication styles understanding how other people 
prefer to communicate and be communicated with so that you're communicating in a way that that um, should be understood yeah. <laughs> by, by that person. Okay, great. And, and I think it's interesting because often I'm talking to organizations and I, as I said, I work with quite a lot of global organizations in a number of different sectors, but I do also work with local companies and smaller companies as well. And regardless of the size of the organization, what I find fascinating is that quite often people have been promoted because they're really good at their job, but they aren't given the necessary soft skills or line management skills that they require. Now, because I've got industry background, because I've been a manager, because I've held all those roles and positions, and because of my experience of being allowed to go on for 18 months struggling without any intervention. Now, there's an argument that I was senior enough that I should be self-managing and shouldn't need to have any input from anyone else. But there's also structure in place for performance and bonuses. Along that way, there is still, no matter what level in the business you're at, there's still a responsibility if you're managing someone else that you need to be communicating with them regularly to be able to say, this is where you're at in the barometer of performance. And this is what's available in the barometer of health and support. Mm. So the reason that my training isn't just, this is what menopause is, and this is how you have conversation about it. The reason I go into the whole broader piece around mental health and communications and behavior styles and awareness on you know, their bias all of those areas and, and do that cross-reference with diversity, inclusion and well-being is because so many line managers don't have that training to start off with. Mm. So rather than me just going and give them a bunch of information that they don't know how to implement it, I like to bring it to life and help them understand that they have a responsibility to intervene early with their team so they don't have a problem further down the line that causes everybody a lot more aggravation. And sadly, in the last, I don't know how many years, We've just all become so busy at work. We mm. don't have that capacity in our diary anymore to have that 10, 15% of flexibility to really look after our teams. And we're not as line managers typically trained to do that. So that's why I do the, the whole thing. Um, clearly, if they're already trained and they're great line managers, I can just do the menopause piece. But that comes back to meeting people and my clients where they're at. Yeah, indeed. I've also witnessed many, many people who are brilliant at their job and they get promoted and promoted and uh, become a, a manager of a team, but they don't necessarily get that support in terms of, I mean, it's a whole new skill set, training a team, and they don't always get that that level of training unless they're a natural people leader and, um, you know, don't necessarily need it. But yeah, I have heard um, quite a few organisations saying, oh, yes, we're, we're going to implement a menopause policy. <laughs> But I just wondered, so it's really useful to hear from you the broader spectrum of where this fits into the workplace, because a menopause policy is a great place to start and it's better than nothing. But actually, I do wonder if it's just a piece of paper just for the sake of it. So um, really interesting to hear your view on that. Yeah, and I think I think that's a really good point. So a policy in a document, in a file, in a folder, in a system, potentially a system that's being upgraded for, you know, those things are great for those that have got the types of brains that know how to dig and look for that type of information. But like we were just saying, people are so busy. We need to let people know, we need to communicate this stuff on a regular basis. For me, menopause fits in every aspect of the employee journey. So when you're looking at designing a job, when you're doing the job spec and the people spec, you need to have menopause in mind. When you do the advert and the recruitment process, you need to have menopause in mind. Maybe, and I know this isn't relevant for all jobs, 
but maybe you want to send the applicant their questions 24 hours in advance. Maybe you want to give them an opportunity to respond by recording on video what their answers are going to be so they don't feel that pressure of being at the end of a Zoom or going and traveling to, to see people because of either menopausal symptoms or family commitments, whatever it is that's going on for them. So everything from job design through recruitment, onboarding, at what point do you mention that you're menopause savvy? Because that individual is either going to manage, be managed by, or going through menopause themselves at some point. So if it's a bloke, then we need to know some of this. If it's someone that's not going to go through menopause, then they need to understand how to work with someone who is going through menopause. Mm. If it's someone that is going through menopause, they need to take, take responsibility for how they look after themselves during that phase and access help and support. So we need to put that in. And then, of course, in your HR system, and I love this. So for six years, people were telling me that they couldn't possibly put a tag on their HR system for menopause. It just didn't exist. Well, guess what? COVID came along. And guess what? Every HR system suddenly had a tag for COVID. So <laughs> I know now that that's just not true. And I've, I've done a lot of HR transformation work anyway, so I knew it was perfectly possible. But people don't know, so therefore they don't believe it can be done. So we need to think about absence policies, attendance policies, and how they're going to manifest. We need to be thinking about what is our occupational health? What is our EAP or employee assistance programs? Are they actually supportive of menopause? Have their people been trained on menopause? Or do they just have nurse practitioners who will do an assessment, a nurse-led assessment, and then someone is diagnosed with stress and anxiety when actually they've completely misdiagnosed menopause? Mm. So we need to be looking at the full employee journey. And then again, you know, through promotions, again, if we are pushing people through promotions, if we want women, women to come through the organization, we know that women are stepping into the most senior roles in their late 30s, 40s and 50s. This is when perimenopause and menopause is going to happen. So we have to, if we're serious about having equity with women in the organization, if we're serious about closing gender pay gap and, and increasing productivity and employee engagement, we have to provide this type of information at work. We have to be menopause savvy. So for me, again, exit strategy, exit interviews, which most companies we know are extremely poor at doing. We want to be gathering that information to find out if someone's left because they haven't had that support. And exit interviews, you know, I, I, I often wonder why employers don't do exit interviews because there's such a rich source of potential information that can help them improve their entire employee journey and reduce their um, attrition rates that I'm always curious as to why that that's something they don't invest in. But, you know, I'm going off into a different field, but it's all relevant, I think, to the question you asked in terms of where does menopause fit? Wellbeing strategy, diversity and inclusion, every network, everywhere. It belongs everywhere. Mm, absolutely amazing um yeah i completely agree with you about exit interviews i mean why if you've got the opportunity to gather feedback why would you not it can help you improve things for the future and it will it can inform you as an organization as to where to invest in as well in mm. the future i think quite often employers kind of know what they should be doing you know diversity is talked about a lot you know women's health and, and menopause and all of this sort of thing is being talked about or it could be even something as simple as people keep leaving and I don't know why or I can't attract people to my organization and I don't know why well actually you know people are looking for a bit more than just a job and a paycheck now <laughs> um so you know it's gathering that feedback and knowing how to um then uh you know reinvest that into something that they know is going to make a difference to an employee's journey and why not because actually when people leave it's so costly for the business 
and um, has an impact on morale for the rest of the team and all the and all that training time is gone you've got to start from scratch in terms of recruiting so why not but I think I know, um, a lot of employers know what they should be doing and there's a lot of this stuff in the press a lot all the time now about um, you know what employees are looking for and you know, there's a term being coined at the moment, the great resignation, isn't there, that people are leaving because they've they've had time at home. They've perhaps had time over the, the last 18 months to reflect on actually what they do want from life. And it's interesting on that point because more often women will vote with their feet. Absolutely. So women are more likely. So if you give a, a you know a talented, skilled practitioner in your business an excuse to leave when they hit menopause because you're not supporting them after you've invested in getting them to the level that they're at. Women will vote with their feet. Women are, they have a different approach in terms of what they want the workplace to mean to them. And I think men have had a really good look at that. Everyone's had a really good look at that over the last 18 months at the point of us recording this. However, right now we know that women will vote with their feet more quickly than hang on in there. And as you said, if they've got a poor manager, then they're just increasing the risks of them them walking when they, they hit menopause. Hmm. Yeah, indeed. Um, I read recently that the number of um, cases in the employment tribunal has increased over the last few years with women citing uh, menopause as you know and they've been treated unfairly or they've been um, you know they've suffered discrimination or been treated unfairly and therefore have left. Um, What's your view on that? Is it that women are feeling a bit more empowered to talk about these sorts of things now? Or what's your view on, on that? I think I think it's really interesting. There'd be more employment tribunals brought in the first half of 2021 than the whole of 2020. And there are an increasing number of successful tribunals citing menopause now. So whether that's under the Equality Act as a protected characteristic of sex or age or disability, disability being the most common one, or simply under bullying and harassment, where people are just making jibes and jokes and continually making comments about someone's physical or psychological condition as a result of them going through menopause, whether the perpetrator is aware of that or not, but if they are continually and consistently making comments about it, or indeed under health and safety. You know, employers have a duty of care. And if any of those things aren't in place, then women have the opportunity to be able to cite any of them should things not be handled correctly. And if you go back and look at some of the, there's, Surrey Police had a case brought against them, which they actually won because they had followed their own processes and procedures. That was Tiffin versus Surrey Police. And then another one, which is, um, you know, when, when you look at the Scottish Courts and Tribunal Service, for example, they absolutely, you know, couldn't have messed that. These are these are just being referenced because they're ones for people to go and have a look at. Mm, or BT versus March, and you know, they're all really good cases for people to to have a look at. And it is just increasingly clear that we have to understand menopause. We have to have really clear guidelines on how it's got to be managed at work, and we have to stick to them. What I see increasingly, and sadly, a lot of my business, my one-to-one coaching business, comes in from employment lawyers who are handling cases for some form of discrimination or because someone has been managed out you know in constructive case and often I will be part of the settlement so coming to me to work to regroup and get themselves set back up again is often some is a point that I see where the settlement agreement's gone in place and I'm seeing more of that so I've expanded my team now to be able to handle them 
So what that also tells me is that there is a potential group of women out there who could be taking cases forward, but because they are feeling weak or vulnerably, they're just trying to protect their mental health, get a settlement and walk away. Mm. And those cases that I know both sides in terms of what's been going on Mm. are really scary because there is an awful lot of bullying harassment going on out there and mismanagement. So if I'm seeing personally in one little corner of the UK, I'm working with people globally, but the number of cases I'm seeing coming through that are being referred to me to support women is far in excess of the tribunals. And every single one of these could have gone to tribunal according to their employment lawyer. So I I think that we're only really beginning to see the tipping, the tip of the iceberg. Gosh. And there's two parliamentary inquiries. There's an inquiry by the Fawcett Society, the Banking Commission and Standard Chartered, all looking at menopause in the workplace and whether the Equality Act goes far enough, whether menopause should be a protected characteristic, for example. So I think the next six months or so when these are all published, and depending on when you're listening to this clearly, this already, you may know the outcome. However, at the time of recording, you know, it's going to be fascinating to see what comes up over the next few months in terms of uh, UK legislation and regulations for menopause at work. That's fascinating. Thank you for that. And for those um, particular cases as well. That's really interesting. Thank you. Wow. Great. I just wanted to ask you, um, if you don't mind, just for employers, because I do try and make this quite practical um, so that there's some practical information for employers there as well. Um, What are some of the symptoms of the menopause that employers should perhaps um, be looking out for that they may not have considered? So I think the, the whole the whole area of recall and retention is clearly going to impact anyone at work and in terms of looking out for what's going on with your employees I think if someone has come back from cancer treatments if they've had a hysterectomy or a nephrectomy be aware that they may not have been prepared to go into sudden onset menopause which can feel like being hit by a truck so first of all anyone in that case that situation please, please, please be prepared to to support them. And their symptoms are very likely to be very sudden onset and quite severe. So that's one category that you need to be aware of. General symptoms, it does come down to that memory, that brain fog, that ability to need more time and spaciousness to be able to plan. So you might see that in small errors creeping into someone's work or they're not turning out the type and volume of work that they did do previously. If you're noticing behaviour changes, especially if someone's beginning to withdraw, someone who was otherwise quite involved in socialising or quite vocal in meetings, if you notice that people are beginning to withdraw in any way, shape or form, I mean, these are just general good top tips, but they're very pertinent for menopause. If someone's having lots of hot flushes or asking for a fan in their desk or you know, they, 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 they're kind of being more achy, they're struggling to get up and down stairs or their knees are hurting suddenly where they haven't done before. These are really good and obvious signs as well. I mentioned palpitations that I went through. So palpitations, um, anxiety attacks, feeling quite fatigued, low self-esteem, low self-confidence, slightly depressed, low moods, anxious. All of these things are signs of, you know, more of the uh, psychological signs of menopause and some of the physical signs will impact at work as well so if you've got someone doing a physical job if you you know if you're working in the care sector or you're working in the NHS you know if someone's suddenly struggling with itchy skin 
dry eyes, brittle nails, hair falling out, hair appearing in places where you might not really want it to be appearing. There's so many different ways that menopause can impact someone. We used to talk about there being 34 signs of menopause, but we're beginning to understand that that might be an underestimation in terms of how someone can be emotionally, psychologically and physically impacted. So I don't know if that helps a little bit. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. Brilliant. And so you did talk about, you know, what you offer in terms to, um, of what you offer to clients. But, um, you know, if there are any employers out there thinking, gosh, I really need to do something about this, what would be your sort of top tips? I know this is not an easy <laughs> overnight fix, but what would be the sort of things that you encourage or advise your clients to sort of start with um, looking at? So I would clearly, I'm going to say, get in touch, but I do run a free three-day course, which I run every two months. And that, that, that's a really good place for employers to start because they can start to see the types of things and breadth of things they need to look at. So every couple of months I run, it's literally half an hour over lunchtime. So on Monday, we cover the facts, the statistics, the ages, the stages, the symptoms, the definitions of menopause. So just setting the basics out. On Tuesday, we look at where women can get help and support and how you can support people going through menopause. And on the Wednesday, we look at menopause for employers and employees, because it's important that employees understand that they have a responsibility to look after themselves and where that boundary is between the employer support and the employee taking care. Mm -hmm. So that gives that will give an organization an opportunity to see what have they got in place already? You know, are they providing some of the things, reasonable adjustments that they can easily transition over. Do they have policies that already cover this type of thing? Or do they need to think about adding things on? Do they maybe just need to be inserting the word menopause into existing policies and existing practices? So for me, I would always say get in touch with women of a certain stage.com and you know have a look at doing that course. I think that it is very much going back to that point I mentioned earlier, understand how menopause impacts your organization. Do not think that because you work in a male-dominated environment that menopause isn't having an impact on your business because more often than not it will be having quite a significant impact but it is just going under under the you know under the radar at the moment so figure out how many people are being indirectly and directly impacted that would be the first place because then if you're interested in this area you can start to build an internal business case which i can support so that you can understand why this is not something that needs to sit in a corner in a box somewhere in a DNI or wellbeing strategy. It's something 51% of our population are female and all of them are going to go through the menopause, which means everyone around them are going to be impacted. So get some good statistics for your organization on how far reaching menopause is and then take it from there. Brilliant. Thank you. That's really helpful. Um, you've been so generous with your time, Lauren. Thank you. I was going to ask how people can get in touch if they if they would like to. So um, you've just said your website address, but is there any other way that people can get? In yeah, touch I think womenofacertainstage.com obviously will give you. I'm, I'm not a great one for using my website. So if anything's out of date, I apologize in advance. But the other place where I'm very current and always available is via LinkedIn. So if you just look up Lauren Sharon on LinkedIn, I'd be delighted to connect with you there. Brilliant. Thank you so much. It's been and thank you for sharing your story and your experiences with uh, with me. It's been really generous of you to share. So and thank you. And um, yeah, thank you for taking your time to speak to me. <laughs> Pleasure. Pleasure.